Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We're in the next to last week of our journey through the Bible, the river of life. Let's start with our key verse found in your bulletin. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We have gotten to that point in the Bible, in the New Testament, that I find, frankly, the most useful, or at least the part that I turn to the most often, and that is the epistles, the letters that were written after the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, after the Holy Spirit came, during the time that we actually looked at the last time we were together, the time described in the book of Acts, while the missionaries, Paul primarily, and other apostles were going out and starting churches in different places, the book of Acts describes the history of how that happened. These letters are the letters that were written by them, again primarily by Paul, during that time to the various churches that they started. Because what would happen is Paul would move into an area, he would preach first in the synagogues because he was sent first to the Jews. He would invariably get kicked out of the synagogues. Some of the Jewish believers would follow him and they would start meeting in people's homes or in, uh, in one case they met in a school and so on. But anyway, he would establish, a, a gather the, the people there who would come to follow him. And then it's a fascinating thing he would leave without appointing any leaders. And then when he came back some months later, he would find out if they were still meeting together, who it was that everybody kind of looked to when a decision needed to be made, and then he would appoint them the leader. And so the, the church started everywhere, or, or continued and carried on by the efforts of the lay people people without the special revelations and the special training and the special degrees and everything, the people in the pews were the ones that kept things going. And that just fascinates me, and I better stop now because I could talk about that for an hour. But I want to move on because what we're looking at is these letters from Christian leaders to Christian churches to Christian believers, in some cases to other Christian leaders, in, uh, in training, you might say. But what they provide is what I'm calling help for the journey. 
as we travel this journey along the river of life. The river has, has come back up to the surface through uh, the day of Pentecost. The resurrection, as we said, of Jesus was a geyser. The day of Pentecost was a big spring that, that brought the water out and now the, the water of life comes through the Holy Spirit from every Christian. And as we travel along, that river. I imagine there are some of you here who have some experience traveling on rivers, floating down rivers, helping other people. When you get somebody from out of town, a tourist or a neighbor comes to, to, to I mean, a, a friend from out of town, a family member comes, you don't just say, unless they've done it before and you know what they're doing, you don't just say, Okay, here's a boat, and here's some paddles, and there's the river. Go to it. You give them some kind of guidance. You say, okay, here's what to look for. These are the kinds of things to be careful of. If you see a V in the water going that way, you go down the deepest one to avoid the rocks. That kinds of thing. That kind of help for the journey is what the epistles are in the Bible here. Written mostly by the Apostle Paul, several others written by various other people, Peter, John, nobody knows who wrote Hebrews, but it's clearly part of the Bible. In, uh, in seminary, we had to decide who it was that we thought wrote it, and I remember that I came up with Apollos, and I, I thought that Apollos was probably the one who wrote Hebrews, but I can't remember why. <laughs> that was a long time ago. And it doesn't really matter. And again, interesting, just a, a little interesting note, the epistles are not written in chronological order, or I mean, they were obviously written in chronological order. They're not laid out in chronological order in the Bible. Just like uh, we said with the prophets, they're from the longest to the shortest, except that all of Paul's are, are together, from longest to shortest. Well, these are the part of the Bible that are most directly addressed to us by the human authors. I've, I've said before, you've probably heard other people say, the Bible is a letter to us from God. Well, you can look at the whole Bible that way, but as we've seen, a lot of the Bible is stories, a lot of it is history, a lot of it is poetry. The epistles are literally letters. And that, that uh, clarifies something. I can't remember if I mentioned this to you before, but there are those, there, there was a the, the Sunday school teacher asked one of her students, uh, or asked the class, does anybody know what the epistles are? And this little girl raised her hand and said, yeah, yeah, I know what the epistles are. And the Sunday school teacher said, what are they? She said, they're the wives of the apostles. <laughs> so that's not, that's not the case. An, an epistle is a letter. They tell us about God. They tell us how to live a godly religious life. They give us encouragement about the afterlife. But they also give us practical help for this life, help for the journey. There are places in there where Paul gives advice on marriage and family. He tells you how to have good relationships how to have inner peace. He even addresses paying your taxes. And I was thinking, how can I cover all of this 
in one sermon. And I decided I can't. And you all are saying, praise the Lord. (laughs) He didn't try to cover it all in one sermon. Um, But what I am going to do is go through the key verse, showing examples from the epistles, primarily, of my favorite scriptures in each category that the, the key verse mentions. And so our key verse starts off saying every scripture is inspired by God. The scriptures are the Bible, just two different words for the same thing. The Bible is the Christian scriptures. Other religions have other scriptures. But every scripture is inspired by God. The Bible is a gift to us from God. Every part of the Bible, there are some churches where they stand up for the readings of the gospel. They sit down for the readings of the Old Testament lesson, the New Testament lesson. They stand up for the readings of the gospel. Uh, There are Bibles that have the words of Jesus printed in red and all the other words written in black. Now, that's fine. But for me, that implies that parts of the Bible, the parts you stand up for, or the parts that are printed in red, are somehow more special or more holy or more inspired by God than the rest of it. And I don't believe that. Every bit of the Bible is inspired by God. Every scripture is inspired by God because he loves us and he wants us to succeed in life. He didn't just say, here's a canoe, here's a paddle, there's the river. He gave us some Guidance. He wants us to successfully and enjoyably get to the other end. So every scripture is inspired by God and it's useful. The Bible's useful in our daily lives. It's practical, it's functional, it's worthwhile. It's not, uh, there's a phrase, uh, the second story, like, Our daily life is down here and all the religious stuff is up on some second story and you have to climb the stairs and get up there and they don't ever meet with each other. And that is not the case. The Bible is full of the nitty-gritty of human life. And I think we've seen some of that in the past few months. And you know what? Human life is like everything else. It works best when you operate it according to the design specifications. These are the design specifications. It tells you how to work it. If you don't follow the instructions, you may muddle through, but you're going to mess things up, probably. So our key verse says, every scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for And then it tells us what it's useful for. And then specific, it gives us four specific areas in which the Bible is useful. It says it's useful for teaching. The Bible gives us truth. There's some parts of the Bible that their whole main function is to show us what is true. Okay, here's reality. These are the eternal truths and facts and realities on which we should base our lives. 
First, because they're true. And second, because they are what we're going to be judged against. At the end of our life, when we stand at the last judgment, we're going to be judged against what is true and what is real. Not against what we wish, not against what we think is true or real. If you jump off the Empire State Building, you're going to be subject to what is true and real, which is the law of gravity, whether you believe it or not. Now I want to take just a moment to go a little bit off to the side because there's an idea out there and many people think it's a modern idea and therefore it must be a good idea. But there's an idea out there that everybody has their own truth. This idea says there's no such thing as a truth that is absolute. A truth that's always true for every person in every situation. Another way of expressing it is everything's relative. Now, of course, when somebody says there's no such thing as absolute truth, they are claiming to know that as an absolute truth. And I don't have time right now to go into all the reasons this, this idea is wrong or all the harm it's caused, but for this morning, I will just state as an absolute truth that there is such a thing as absolute truth, and the Bible reveals it to us. So, for example, our first reading that Alice read so beautifully for us taught us about the blessings that God has provided for us in the Holy Spirit. And in about a month, I'm going to start a series about the Holy Spirit and what a difference he can make in your life. And expand a whole lot on that and other passages about that. But an example of the kinds of truths, God has given us the Holy Spirit. He does these things. He doesn't do those things. He makes these kinds of differences. For example, Romans 5.8, God proves his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a true statement that we need to know. And see, when you know the truth, then you can build out from that. And you can say, okay, based on this, I should do that. I should not do the other thing. Romans 8.28, what I call my safety net verse. If I mess everything else up, if I get things wrong, I think I'm hearing God right, and I'm, I'm not, but I'm really trying to follow him, I go back to this Romans 8.28. Or when, when bad things just happen, to paraphrase the bumper sticker, stuff happens. So I go back to my safety net verse, Romans 8.28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I can depend on the truth of that statement, and therefore, I can choose to go on and do this or do that, not be scared to try and do anything, not be scared to ever make a mistake, not wind up in despair and say, oh, everything is 
horrible. Because God's going to work it out. It's a truth that I can live by. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He who is in you is the Holy Spirit. He who is in the world in the context is the devil and the forces of evil. And what it's saying is the spirit of God living inside you is stronger than the forces of evil in the world. That's a truth. I can take it to the bank. I can live on it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. Sometimes we think he overestimates our strength, but he knows. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. You've heard me say before, it'll all be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not yet the end. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes. The Bible gives us standards. Some parts of the Bible give standards to measure our lives against so we know the right way to do things and so we can see where we're going wrong. I've heard it uh, compared to a straight edge that you hold up against a line or, or a board to see if it's warped. A standard. For example, James 1, 19 and 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So if you're always flying off the handle, this tells you you're missing it somewhere. Or another example, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It is one of these three bookmarks I've got in here. Galatians. Where is that bookmark? It's not that one. There we go. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, which, by the way, is any kind of sex between anybody that's not married to each other. And I have to add, to, nowadays, uh, between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are standards. There are things that are right and wrong and there are ways of knowing so the Bible lets you know, gee, I didn't know that was wrong. Well, it's right there. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting. The Bible gives us in some parts of it practical advice on how to fix it 
when we find out we've been doing wrong. We've been on the wrong track. James 1.21 Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. If you find you've been going wrong, get rid of that stuff and replace it with the word of God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Okay? That part is, is showing mistakes. If I'm worrying, then I'm wrong. But it tells you how to correct it. It goes on. It says, instead, instead of worrying, don't do this. How do I fix it? Well, you do this. Instead, you do this. Instead, pray about everything. It takes the same amount of mental energy to pray as it does to worry. But worry is destructive and prayer is constructive. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and the fourth area for training in character. The, the Bible helps us become our best. God created you with a wonderful plan in mind, a great plan for your life. He created you so that you will be happiest and most fulfilled when you're following that, when you're doing what you were designed to do. And he gives us the Bible to help us find it and help us become the kind of people who fulfill that, become the kind of person who lives right in the first place so we're not always spending our time making mistakes and then trying to fix them. You know, that's good if you make a mistake to fix it, but it's better not to make the mistake in the first place. So, for example, Romans 12, 9 to 18 says, just practical advice on how to develop the kind of character that will keep you out of trouble and give you the most fulfilling, rewarding life you can have. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love. Hate what's wrong, hold tightly to what's good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. 
Or another example from Ephesians chapter 6. Oh, no wonder that says Galatians 6. No wonder I'm in the wrong place. It's really not helpful when you put your bookmark in the wrong place. Put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You do these kinds of things and it will train your character to be the kind of person that God created you to be. And so that's what our last part of our key verse goes on to say. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training characters so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. The Bible is what equips us to change the world for the better. Parts of the Bible show us how to access the resources and the tools that God has provided for us to be successful in doing anything and everything that's good. Because see, if you're doing a good thing, God wants you to be successful at it. God wants you to succeed. If you're doing a bad thing, you shouldn't ought to be doing it. If you're doing a good thing, God wants you to be successful at it. And the Bible tells you how to requisition the resources and supplies from God to get that good thing done. For example, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Out of our first reading from James 1, 5 and 6, if you need wisdom, ask our, gen- I'm sorry, our second reading. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Okay, God, I'm doing this good thing. I believe you want me to do it. It seems like a good thing. It, it lines up with what you've shown us in the Bible as good things. It's, it's helping people or whatever it is. But I, I don't quite know what to do next. I need your wisdom. So then you, you, you take what he gives you, the ideas that come into your head, and you go with them. You don't 
stop and say, well, I don't know if God's really going to give that to me or not. I don't know. Maybe I ought to check out all of these other, and it's good to, to check with multiple counselors. But be sure your faith is in God to guide you. And again, if, if you get it wrong, remember my safety net verse. He's going to make it work anyway. If you're seeking to do the right thing. So that brings us to the end of our key verse. But I want to go back for a moment and notice who this is for. It says the person who belongs to God. The Bible is not going to do any good for anybody who doesn't belong to God except to draw them to God. And it's great for that because God wants everybody drawn to him. But the Bible is not a book of magic potions that people can use to force God to do what they want him to do. If you belong to God, if you have recognized that you've messed up and you can't pay for your mess ups, but Jesus did when he died on the cross, and you put your faith in him and you asked him to come into your life and take over. And you said, okay, God, I belong to you. Then the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible, inspired the writing of the Bible, comes into your heart to inspire your reading of it and your understanding of it. So if there's anybody here who's not sure that you've ever done that, I would love to talk with you and Pray with you for that. One of the neat things about the epistles, and especially the ones that Paul wrote, is he tends to divide them more or less in half, and the first half is the truth, the doctrinal part. And then, right around the middle of his, most of his letters, he'll see the word, therefore. And after that, he gives you the practical part. Based on all of this truth, this is what you ought to do. So, I've given you a bunch of truths about the Bible. What do I want you to do? I want you to learn more about the Bible. We have a great Sunday school class. We have the upper room in the back. The various kinds of apps, if you're one of those who does poke around on the cell phone and the computer for learning and listening uh, to the Bible and reading the Bible. They're through the Bible in a year books like this one that uh, I had loaned to Alice and she liked it so much she got her own copy and gave me mine back. So if anybody wants to borrow it, um, learn more of the Bible and do more of the Bible. Ask God to show you one thing to work on and work on that until you get it. Maybe it's one truth to understand and apply to your life. Or maybe it's one area where your life is not what it should be. And it needs to be changed. Or maybe it's one thing to do to correct where your life is not what it should be. Or maybe it's one thing to do to develop a more Christ-like character. Don't overwhelm yourself. Start with one. And work on it until God tells you to move on to something else. God loves you, and he wants you to succeed in life, and that's why he gave you the scripture. So let's say our 
key verse together. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. listening to this sermon, and I pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.